The online dialogue series of Refuge Poets was commissioned by the Special Initiative on Displacement (SIF) program of the Civil Peace Service of GIZ. We appreciate the discussions and insights shared. The opinions expressed in these dialogue series are those of the speakers. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions or views of GIZ. Hi, my name is Joy Chenyenyozi and I am your host. So welcome. This podcast um is part of a series which is um part of uh, the Refuge Poet series on on um Matters Refugees for 2021 and we are powered by GIZ and the Anika initiative. Um so our first This is our first uh set in this series of podcast and our guests today are amazing people. Um we get to talk about matters mental health, mental wellness with um with reference to the refugees and the refugee situation as at now. So, I would like to introduce my guests and I will start with the lovely Rhoda. Hi. Hi Joy, thank you. Uh my name is Roda. Uh Wagaki I run as a director Suruvi Care for Caregivers. I have been a psychological counselor for about 14 years. In the 14 years, five have been dedicated to working with refugees and that has actually been part the reason for Suruvi mm-hmm. Care for Caregivers in that apart from working with the client who comes to you as a counselor it is important that we look at their social support and how wholesome the support is mm. if the caregiver is not fine then they are doing more harm than good to the client who's coming before you so that is me and I'm happy to be here thank you rada we are excited to have you <laughs> my other guest is bright Karibu Bright please introduce yourself. Uh thank you so much Joy. My name is uh, Bright Chitemi and I'm the founder um and executive director of Mental 360. Mental 360 is a youth-led youth-focused organization that works to raise awareness on mental health and provide affordable and holistic care to persons going through mental health challenges. Um I'm really excited to be here to have this conversation about refugees. Um, and it's a really a good job that you're doing. I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I am so glad that you are able to be here and give insight to this conversation. We are super excited for that. And now my third guest. Hi. So, hi. Uh, the first once again, thank you for having me over here. I go by the name uh, Chol Matiop Chol, but mostly known by my stage name as a poet K2. I'm a South Sudanese uh refugee from Kakuma and I've been in the camp for the last 23 years on forward so I'm looking forward to 
getting into such a very sensitive topic to me and to my fellow people that relate to it. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for being here as our guest. And so now we will get right into the issues. How different are mental health issues um, surrounding the refugee community um, as opposed to mental health issues in the host communities? So, um, for instance, assuming I was having a mental issue and I am from the host community, how different would mine and say, uh, say K2's mental health illnesses, how, how would these two differ and would the treatment be the same? Um, yeah, so how do we navigate that? We'll start with you. Wow, <laughs> I was hoping you would. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> I see, I see. Well, as you ask the question, how different are they? I'm thinking to myself, the issues would primarily be the same. Depression is depression. Um, suicidal ideation is suicidal ideation. And so perhaps the question then becomes how how do they show, how do they present, you know, uh, these conditions depending on who is coming forward with them. And when we talk about refugee versus host community, my brain also goes towards is it refugee male, is it refugee female, is it host community male? Because all of these are very can be very individual, similar and yet very individual. If I am an extrovert, I will present differently from an introvert person, not whether I am refugee or I am not. And so I think to myself, the thing to do is not to look at the difference in presentation as such, but that the person who is supporting the mental wellness listens with an open mind, with an open mind such that they are able to hear what is the support system around this person, what is the what is their interpretation of the experience they have been through or the challenges that they are facing, and not make a division in terms of, um, oh, joy is host community, therefore her depression is severe or not severe. You know, mm -hmm. I hope mm -hmm. that is making sense. Yes, it is. It and and then Shitemi can add to that. Yes. Yeah. Um, for me, how I approach that question is um, so there's so many mental health uh, challenges or mental illnesses. Um, but when it comes to refugees, there you'll see more of certain things. You'll see more of major depression, you'll see more of uh, PTSD, you, which is post traumatic stress disorder, or you'll see more of anxiety guided by the nature of challenges they go through and the experiences they have or they've had. Um, so I'd say uh, maybe you'd see more of these issues pronounced in them. Uh, I don't think it's more of a difference because even in the wider society or the host country, you still have some of these challenges, only that for the refugees, uh, you, you go in and you'll see most of these issues, the three issues I mentioned, pronounced. Um. So... You, you mentioned PTSD, and then I, I remembered a conversation which we were having earlier, and you talked about um, the stages, the different stages um, that people mostly, actually, that refugees go through um, in their uh, mental wellness journey. 
Would you please talk to us about that? Yeah, so the, there's three stages to uh, a refugee's journey, um, even life journey. Let's call it life journey. It starts at home um, where there is usually a social upheaval and um, you 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 get to see violence, you get to see rape, you get to see, depending on what the social upheaval, what the, what the challenges you're going through, um, for some, you get to be separated from your families. Mm -hmm. So these are things that you experience at the onset of, of your journey, uh, at the pre-flight process. Um, and at that point, you make a decision then to run away because it becomes, it becomes um, it, you're unable to live in that environment anymore. And then you become a refugee or an asylum seeker, then you have to run away from your home country. Um, that alone, by virtue of leaving your home, is, is a traumatizing event in itself. So forget about all the things you've seen, all the violence, all the rape you've seen. And these are things you've not seen before, so you're having to see them. And this is happening neighbor to neighbor um, or, or people you, you knew about or people you used to live with. So it's, it's, it's quite unfortunate that then that happens and all these experiences now count as trauma. Okay, and then you go to the second stage now where you're fleeing and you're going to maybe a new country. Um, actually, so your life has been turned upside down. If you're working, if you're working in a bank, if you're a farmer, you're not doing that anymore. So you kind of have to re-engineer yourself to find a new purpose. Again, that's a whole process in itself that has, uh, for some, devastating mental health effects. Uh, and so in the, in the, in the flight process, um, it's challenging with adjusting to a new environment. Um, there's no more work for you. Um, there is sometimes detention. There is sometimes lack of food. There is all these now challenges that present themselves in a camp. You know, you have girls who have now to go into prostitution again, sometimes in these um, places. You have more uh, sexual abuse cases in these camps, um, unhygienic standards. Um, and these things also affect the, the, the mental health of the refugee. And lastly, now, as you're being resettled, now you're still resettled more, more often than not in a new, totally new environment, maybe not even your host country anymore. So you have people who are going to Canada, you have people who are going to the U.S. and all other countries. And now you have, to, you have to adjust again to a new culture, learn a new language. For kids, it's an easier transition, but for adults, that, that's really tough, okay? Um, and also finding, uh, again, a new purpose. How do you find a job? Where do you start, you know? So then it creates another long-lasting uh, uh, life challenge that is bound to affect people devastatingly on, on their mental health. Mm-hmm. So that is stage two. And what is the third one? No, I mentioned the third one is oh, now sorry, resettlement. Yeah. So resettlement, the, yeah. Pre-flight, there's the flight. And, and then, then resettlement. The, the settlement, yeah. Okay. So, K2, um, you have grown up in um, the camp. Yes. And you have witnessed people. You, you were born in the camps, yeah? Yes. And you've witnessed people coming, people settling in the camps and... Pretty much the transition. So these three stages, you have witnessed these three stages. Have you seen um, provision of, of counseling or uh, basically any mental health awareness campaigns around these three issues? Um, has Have you seen this? Um, have you met someone who has um, been able to walk through the three stages and and probably even is better, has overcome trauma and things like that. 
um, do you have a person in mind or uh, people in mind who have walked this journey and what does that look like on the ground? Okay, there. first of all, uh, once again, thank you for the questions. Um, I will say, first of all, on the first stage, uh, I never went through it. I'll say my parents were the first ones back in 92 that flee the country and came into Kenya. So I'll say through them, uh, that's how I came I came into Kenya. So a few years later on, um, we were now we're now born and here we are so if we were to talk now on the second stage that's uh, that's where now i get involved a bit uh, basically based on the experience that i've had as a refugee uh, throughout the camp as uh, as, as the sister over here had just said most most of us do go through this uh a traumatic uh, mental breakdown, but if you're an introvert, it's kind of hard to, to speak up. So most of the time, most of the people are very afraid to 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 sort, uh, uh, to go for therapies so that they can somehow get help based on this. I myself, I won't say I've, uh, I haven't been that much into, I've never come across, uh, I personally, uh, I've never been into that depression, but I know of friends. I know of uh, I know of uh, relatives. Like an incident of a, I'll give you a short a short incident that happened uh, during my childhood. Uh, a friend of mine who had a sister, sister of 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 his. So the sister was in was in school, and since the sister was in school, high school, and um, someone from abroad came said. Uh, wanted to marry the, the sister. Uh, the person approached the sister and then the sister was like, I'm still in school. I need to finish my studies. And after that, we can now talk about it. But the, the person was like, okay, since the lady does not want to understand, let me go directly to the parents. And uh, he convinced them by providing a bit of money. So the parents called the, the lady into the room. They had to talk to her in a very harsh way, like, some of them even had to strip naked to show her this is the kind of body that you came in from and now you want us to die uh, in poverty. So uh, out of whatever that happened, the lady had to accept, not because she wanted it, but so she told the parents, okay, I've accepted. The parents thought uh, the lady was was good. She could not speak up because the same, same people that are causing her the, the trauma are the same same people that she's supposed to talk to, and if she even talks to them, they don't understand. So uh, a few days later, after the incident, uh, it's so unfortunate that the lady went and committed suicide. She was a neighbor of mine, so she was found. She had went through herself into the repansion, and she she got drowned. And so that's one of the first cases that I came through, uh, based on. Uh, uh, depression and all that, that happened after it. So what I will talk about or what I will say uh, about it is that uh, uh, based on now talking about the kind of mental uh, illness that kind of people have from different type of environmental or do I say geographical areas, I'll say that if, if a person, let's say a person that is in the camp and the person, let's say, who has gone to, 
to who has flown to, to US as he had said he had friends who have gone to theirs the, the different type of uh, mental illness that they have there you'll find that in the uh, in the camp mostly the main thing that we always have as refugees is like okay so now i'm getting the the ratio the ratio kind of food that i'm being given what if it ends today what's next for me uh wh- where will the meal come from where will my children eat and uh, all those kind of things if we come to now uh, the one that has flown to the us he or she has his own ways to let's say you find police brutality racial profiling all those kind of things that do happen that you've seen on the media so i'll say uh, they are all going through the same thing but from different type of ge- uh, geographical areas mm-hmm. but uh, personally as a refugee i'll say that uh, the stages of going to therapy it's they're not that much there and if there is uh maybe i'm not that aware of of it but most of the friends that i have around none of them they they will prefer talking to their parents uh uh to bring them out of depression uh, than going for therapy so that's 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 basically what i've come across Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Um I mean you've shared so much. Thank you. It's <laughs> it's very enlightening. Now Roda, while in the camps. Um what was your what was your approach to ensuring that people actually get the help they need? I mean Kitu has talked about um how people would rather speak to people they know, you know their parents. Um the incidents the the suicide incident how did you handle this well in the camps and um given that you act in both camps actually so how did you how did you go about this um getting people to come for therapy mm-hmm. a lot of community work a lot of raising awareness uh you will not go for treatment if you do not think you are unwell you know if you have grown up thinking this is it you know um from any context but if you have grown up thinking well girls in our community we we get up we don't go to school and then we we get married off and then we that for you is reality and you may not think of your feelings as they are as unwholesomeness right so a lot of um community forums a lot of awareness and sensitization forums to for people to be able to realize oh this is not normal oh this can, we can be helped you know there's therapy for this there's treatment for this this is what is required in the case of violations just again raising awareness to say listen this is the pathway this is how the cycle of reporting you go to the police this is what you expect to find you go to the hospital this is what you expect to do if there has been it's a sexual violation do not shower do not do this a lot of community uh, awareness forums needed to happen and are still happening uh working with religious leaders working with women working with the men separately and together you know working with the um 
people in authority like the area chiefs and the headmen and all of that to put word out there that listen yes there's the concerns about food there's the concern about housing there are all those concerns but as well there are these other concerns and there is treatment for it there is support for it there is help for it that remains necessary remains key um and so yeah we did a lot of that uh individually and within the community as well so if say we met um refugees in flight and they ended up in a place like uh Nairobi or Garissa right and they come they present to you one issue but you're able to pick up another you still start off with educating informing raising awareness that this was also an issue and it also needs to be taken care of so we did a lot of that and it is still go- ongoing i'm no longer in the camps but it's still ongoing and that is to everybody who is doing all that work good job and keep at it <laughs> thank you for for the shout out yeah. <laughs> um so what resources are available to people in the camps and then we're going to talk about the refugees within the urban spaces so i'm going to start with you bright just talk to us about um the resources clinics maybe um access to to uh professional help for refugees within um in, inside the camps and within the urban setups and then we will come to you yeah so um <clears throat> i think i've seen a huge focus um when it comes to healthcare on other issues other than mental health uh this even when you look at our country our budget that goes to mental health is less than 1% okay um so when it comes to refugees that goes even lower uh a lot of interventions and programs in refugees focus on most other issues other than on the mental health so still very low but when it comes to support of uh, people in these camps even therapy for them has to be contextualized it can't be the therapy that you and i will go to it has to be a communal approach like she was mentioning about doing um you know these community uh, awareness uh, uh, projects um even for trauma how, how do you have then the trauma healing in a communal setup because when it comes to mental health there is something called um, generational trauma so your parents for example in in k2's um Uh, case his parents went through challenges uh, and he was born in a camp but these challenges can be manifesting in their lives and being passed down to the child who had nothing to do with what happened in in South Sudan for instance so if your parent is has is now going through PTSD and uh, maybe is abusing drugs and is violent you see that passes down to you you don't know where the, you don't know the genesis but you inherit that trauma because you pass it down to your children also you pick up those behaviors and you think it's normal and so again that's why we need the, that collective healing where we we trace it back to where it started and people understand that this is this is not the way things are supposed to be yeah because it's very easy uh, for someone to 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 say okay this is this is my new normal and this is the way it is for me um and it happens to a lot of uh, sexual abuse victims um who then just uh, learn to cope and live in that environment so you need that communal uh, support 
So I, I, I'd love to see, I'd love to see, I, I haven't seen it yet. I'd love to see more investment in mental health for refugees, uh, more uh, context being applied to the challenges they're going through, even in their approach uh, for their healing. Um, and organize, for us as an organization, we've been, um, we're looking to gain to that. And of course, there's challenges that I'm sure you'll mention that are developing with the closure of camps and repatriation and all that. But we are hoping to um, to get involved and also uh, find ways to help the situation because it's not going to be one person, one entity. It has to be the whole the whole society coming in to support each other to to, to take care of this problem. I was just, I was just, you know, nodding at what he's saying, yeah. and and I was thinking to myself as uh, Shitemi was talking that um, apart from you know at the policy level, I think even at an individual level, we need to think of mental health as a as a thing, in the same way you think about physical health. So when you cough, you think you know antibiotics or cough syrup or something. That when people start struggling with their thought processes, or you see another struggling with their emotional wellness, you know, and sometimes we wonder. I think people do wonder, how do I know this is this is wholeness and this is not wholeness? There are reactions that people have to things, and you think to yourself, oh, that's a bit off. Right. Some some sometimes we give them uh, cute labels where we say ah, she tell me is extra, you know, <laughs> and, and it sounds like it's a thing. Yeah. But really, the minute you start to look to raise an eyebrow about another person, Google it, think about it. Talk to somebody about it. See if how if you can help Shitemi access support, you know, and if we don't think of mental health as other mm. as a thing beyond our wholeness, you know, general wholeness, then we will start to have mental health conversations as regular, you know, in part of all these other healthcare concerns that we are having, as opposed to some an appendix that is added to conversations. Whether in the refugee world, whether in the host community, we need to have this conversation so that then we start to see the relevance of a budget allocation. We start to see the relevance of support systems from bottom up and up bottom, you know, trickling down. That even within family setups or community setups, we are talking about it is not tabiabaya for someone to defile a child or to rape uh, a lady or a man for that matter, right? And we start to look at having that conversation beyond go to court and go back home, go to the police and go back home. We think wider about it, all the way to the perpetrator. Why are they doing these things? Not to excuse, but why are they doing these things? You know, like he has talked about community healing. There are things that become more pronounced where there is trauma. And so the PTSD will look a certain way. And so if we just take people to the police station and to jail, we are not healing anybody. Yeah. Yes. So the two of you have talked about um, solutions at the policy level, solutions at 
the individual level, which you have just offered. And the two of you, again, have collectively given insight on solutions on a communal level. So we're talking a lot about the stigmatization. So now, how do we contextualize this conversation into the camps specifically? So um, in the setup of, say, Kakuma, say, Dadab, how do we contextualize um, the conversation on the stigmatization of mental health issues? How And how do we... How do we um, personalize these issues such that I feel like I am included in whatever conversation is going on here? And I would like the two of you to point us in that direction and then K2 to maybe ground it for us and kind of tell us what you what it would look like for you to have access, um, I, I mean, yes, access. Allowed access to um, mental health uh, treatment, to to mental illness treatment and things like that, and just to be able to talk about, um, even for your friends and people who've gone through the same um, mental health uh, issues and and people who've been in really tough situations, what that would look like for people within the camp. So just bringing it home and contextualizing it because I believe that once we talk about it in the context of the camps, we can be able to address this in the context of the um, urban refugees because of uh, the psychosocial <laughs> the psychosocial support systems that op- um, that operate and actually exist outside the camps to the people, to refugees who are in the urban settings. Am I right in that assumption? that we would go from the camp, we can then give um, solutions to individuals in the urban setup. Yeah. I have asked like three questions. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a lot of questions. Yes. So first of all, I'll, start, I'll have to start by saying there's actually no health without mental health. And I'm saying that because if you look at the numbers, and these are scientific numbers, um, 40% of the people who go to the health centers um, actually ha- do have mental health issues. These, these physical ailments are emanating from mental health issues, only that they don't know. And I guess, I guess this also translates to refugees. If you say uh, the ratio there is one in three, then it means this 40% is even slightly higher there. Um, and so the, the first step would be educating people. Yeah. Because like she mentioned earlier, you, you don't know you have a problem unless someone educates you. You think it's okay. Yeah. You think it's okay, uh, and I've seen this so many. If you, see, you go to the village and you'll find uh, there's the village drunkard. Mm. You people say, you know, it's just uh, you know in Kawidao that family they just yeah it, they just do it yeah. Mm-hmm. If you hear of a suicide in a family, I'm sure even if it happens in a refugee camp, you 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 hear people say, oh, it's just that family, you know, until it hits you, then oh, it's also in our family, and it's it's kind of a casting, maybe you know. Uh, that family is cast, but you don't ask yourself. Maybe that girl was being abused. Yeah, maybe that girl was forced to to go into marriage. Mm-hmm. It would be deflected into other things. So, the first step is to is to educate people. Okay, um, and 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 this education doesn't have to be necessarily by professionals. Okay, because you're already stretched, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, and all that. Mm-hmm. That's why I was talking about the community approach of. Um, even using stories, okay, rape in itself is not accept, acceptable in, in almost all cultures. We only accept it because we gang against it when it 
goes against it as men, for example, if if um, if my, my daughter is abused and I don't want that story to go out because it will embarrass my family mm-hmm. or because I'm being paid, okay? Deep inside, I know it's not, it's not a right thing. So how do we have conversations as a, as a, as a, as a, as a community, as uh, the South Sudanese living in, in Kakuma, uh, in the camp, come together, okay? Let's talk about where, where, what is the genesis of this problem? How did it start? How do we heal? How do we support each other moving forward? Is this an acceptable behavior? When you sit people down and they actually have discussions, you'll even hear that in our culture, this is how we used to handle rape issues. This, is the, this was the process, you know, just that we're in this situation as refugees. Maybe you're not able to do that, but this is how. So then the community collectively knows that that is a social ill. We are, we're not allowed to do that. Okay. And if it's being done, I can speak about it because the power, the power structure sit, sit down with the, um, quote unquote survivors or victims and ha- has, have an honest discussion because the genesis of the problem is people never have these discussions at the family level neither at the community level. So that's the beginning. And secondly, um, for me, I think the approach also of training um, as professionals, if you go into a, a community and you train, um, for example, you pick out in the in the camp leaders, youth leaders or political leaders, I'm sure even there you have your own political system. They form naturally in mm. any human mm. settlement. You train these people on what good mental health looks like or on what bad mental health looks looks like and what, what are these issues. So these people who are seen or are looked up to in the community can be approached when certain issues are affecting the community. Uh, and then that speaks again to the honest conversations. And once the power structure are the people who are leading the conversation, then mental health issues will seem less and less of these uh, challenges. So training these peer because I don't want to go sit in the dab uh, or in Kakuma, because he doesn't really relate to me. Mm. That's why he said, I'd rather talk to my father about it than talk to you. But in most cases, it's that father who's the cause. So you can't even have that conversation. Um, so how, how if you train people who, um, who, who you are relatable to be empowered, to start that healing process, that, that I think will go a long way um, into solving the problem. Thank you. I mean, you said such powerful stuff, Yanni. <laughs> I don't even know what to add to that. <laughs> but, but, you know, to come oh. that, yes, talk is therapy. Yeah. And when we just think about, about just that statement, talk is therapy. Uh, easy example. Uh, we have normalized or we are normalizing. I know there's still some resistance, but we are normalizing walking around in masks. You know, how did that come across? You know, how are we there? How are our kids saying to us, mom, you know, go back and get a mask as opposed to parents telling their children it's, you know, because they they have been told by teachers, people they are relating with, people who are, they see as people in authority. There are all these little adverts with, you know, kids. So it is kid friendly and kids can hear it in their language. Right. So even when we are talking about mental health issues beyond policy level and beyond saying there's um, a counseling center there. Right. Let's talk about mental health a lot. Let's talk about it in different languages a lot. Let's talk about it in different contexts a lot. Let's not say, you know, men don't talk. Men need therapy. (sighs) 
that mm. excludes oh sorry that excludes women mm. you know from the need for therapy right because we have said men men need right? therapy let's mm. have conversations about children who are in school how they need children in boarding schools how they need a counselor there let's talk about how people in workplaces need therapy there you know let's talk about people in the juakali sector and where do they go? let let it be um talked about a lot so that then we even know what people know and what they don't know mm. for as long as you're quiet then i don't know if you're understanding or not understanding are you do you have a you know a, are you getting what i am saying but let people talk so that then the bigger problem the other problem becomes demystifying or you know filtering through the the process of dissemination of information but let's talk about mental health so that it is so normal there's no room for stigmatization there's no room for it there are no taboo subjects around mental health you know we do not isolate from you because you've started acting funny we actually you know come around you and support you to get uh, treatment like we would if you had malaria yeah <laughs> you know so yes talk is therapy and we need to have a lot more talk mm. a lot um My colleague has talked about sorry the name has just yeah, gone bright bright right. bright yes how could i forget bright has talked about educating the young people mm-hmm. very important because quite honestly the older people are set in their ways the younger people are more receptive the younger people are taking over they are reversing the roles even as they continue to grow they'll mm. be the ones to take care of their parents yes you know mm-hmm. so really you know that thing we used to say leaders of the future And then we started saying the future is here. Well, the future is living, and the other leaders of, people of need to step future. up. Yes, we mm-hmm. need to. The button needs to be passed on, mm-hmm. and let's have these conversations from a very young age. It doesn't have to be an older person's conversation. Let's talk to everybody with everybody in every language mm-hmm. a lot. And then once we've talked, we will figure out how to counter misinformation later. And, and and information gaps and information gaps yeah yes. but in the meantime we need to have a conversation yeah and and, and, yeah. and just to yes. add on that the conversation it's how we have the conversation can we can we con- contextualize it to the culture for example in the yes. african systems we use stories right mm. uh, and i'm sure even now we can say if, if you talk about depression if i go de- define depression or ptsd to uh, someone who's lived in the camp has never go to school it would be a very difficult thing but if i go tell them my story about how I, w- i was going through this challenge and this is what i was doing they'll say ah that's also what my father does mm-hmm. then they see the problem yeah you know it's the power of storytelling for example and this is this, there's this book my son reads um it's it talks about elephants mm-hmm. where in the beginning there were black elephants and white elephants and they had this difference where it was black and white and they fought and fought and fought because that was the difference and at the end of the day they only remained uh, the, the ones the, the ones which ran to the forest in hiding let's call them now the refugees they went to, to the forest the others killed each other okay and when they came out of the forest after uh, several years there was um there was there was uh, still the black they had intermarried and now they had gray elephants okay now the children are gray yeah but once again once they came out then they started being wars about the big ear elephant and the small ear elephant uh, 
<laughs> you know, so human beings, you know, understanding conflict, then if you break it down in such a simple story to people, then they start seeing, but what really is the point then? Why start fighting black and white and now you're fighting big and small ears? So you understand what is the genesis of, of conflict and why is it important? You know, so having the, those storytelling, the African folklore things, of t- talking about personal experiences is going to help um, break down what mental health is to, to a lot of people. Mm. Mm. And to add again to, we shall just keep this <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to what Brett is talking about, we are now in the technological age. And we, I, th- I, I want to think, I hope this is, you know, true to everybody, but we are getting past saying the internet is bad, the internet is bad. Mm. Because thanks to COVID, now we are very dependent on the internet. Yeah. So access to applications beyond, um, you know, uh, applications that can highlight either through storytelling uh, or through games or whatever, but can highlight mental health issues. Because this is a language that the younger people are understanding so easily. You know, and there are all kinds of games going about. There are all kinds of apps making when you go to Play Store. And if we were able to ever do that research, how many people have downloaded apps that talk of mental health issues Mm. versus have downloaded apps that have games or money betting or, you know, stuff like that. And if we can make this something that people can think about, yes, on top of a Bible app, and on top or a Quran app, on top of a betting app, on top of a dictionary. Let me also have a mental health app. You know, there are channels where you can even get tele counseling happening. But how many people are thinking in that direction? So back to that, let's have conversations. Let's have conversations in every language. Let's tell stories about them. Let's do all of these things and just exploit every channel there is to highlight the need to be aware of what's going on emotionally within you, mentally within you. Thank you. Anyway, before I get to your, <laughs> to your question, I've had a lot. And uh, lastly, what uh, she had just said right now uh, about uh, using the internet as an advantage of... Uh, settling this kind of mental illness. So there's a living victim, a living testimony of a guy. He is a refugee. As we talk right now, he's in he's in USA. So this guy flew from Kakuma and went to USA. After going to USA, the guy went and studied IT. So uh, the guy came up with a system whereby uh, a playing game that focused on things that refugees have gone through. So if you are a refugee, you can get into that game, um, play play with it, how to handle things as a refugee. And it has helped a lot of guys. As we speak right now, this guy is uh, he's, he's being given some responsibilities in some, some certain organizations based on the game that he created. Since he's, he's a victim, he has gone through this because he knows what it feels like to be a refugee at the same time with the mental illness. So he created uh, the, that kind of game. And so whatever that you're saying really applies. It's it's happening. It's no longer an idea. <laughs> so it's something that is really happening. What is the name of that app? Do you know? Um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I've, I haven't gotten that much into it, but okay. uh, the, the guy is called Ding. 
So big up to Deng for such a thing. He's helping guys that are in the camp and the ones that are also whatever that he's 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 the he's a South Sudan. He's uh, basically has studied mostly I think IT. Yeah. Oh wow. But as time goes by, we'll see. Mm. We'll see into into the game. I'll give you guys more information. Thank you. Yeah. Um, now, because so I have been writing this <laughs> this amazing points and. Um, I, I would want you to, first of all, uh, give us more insight. And then I can just read these ones out <laughs> and then probably move on to the next question. But I sh- there's so much knowledge here to be honest. It is incredible. Yeah. So, you know, uh, as he had said, uh, you know, they say knowledge is power. Uh, when we talk about, when I say power, uh, it has the ability to to solve so many things. And in the current generation we live in right now, uh, the youth have a notion of once you're depressed, for you to let out, uh, to let out, uh, for you to somehow get rid of the depression for the time being, you get into drugs. So they're like, if you don't, if you don't use drugs, you're a boring type of a person to hang out with. So I can't tell you my things. But if you use drugs, then we can relate. To, to what we are going through. That's what the that's the kind of notion that the, the youth have nowadays. But if they were to be educated, as he had said, based on the the effects of drugs, cause you have mental illness, you have uh, depression based on things that are happening at home, and then on that now you add an additional of drugs, which co- makes it even worse. Okay, it it will help you at the time being, get into your fantasy world, forget about it. But once it's gone, you're now sober. Mm. You still come back to the same, same, same uh, place that you that you are. So if they were to be educated based on how these things are supposed to be handled, how what depression really is, because some of them, as she had said, some of them are even unaware that they are into depression. They only think it's, oh, maybe it's something that normally happens to, to, to a normal human being. But if they were educated based on how de- what depression is, how to handle it, and uh, who to who to go to, and uh, and how things are to be handled. Also, on the side of not only the youth but also the parents who are the the guardians to the to them, because as I had said earlier, most of them are caused by the guardians or the parents that are in within. Uh, I'll take an example. Let's say of my. My parents, right? Right now, as we speak, right now, back at home, economically and uh, in terms of uh, things are not good back at home. So if my parent, because it's not only the youth that have uh, depression, we also have parents too. If my parents would come from South Sudan with their own depression that, okay, now here we are in the camp. So uh, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I raise these children in such an environment? And then I myself, I come up with things that are stressing her or him up. Uh, he or she may lose it. And he's like, I don't care anymore. You go your own way. If you have your own problem, don't bring them to me. Because I myself, I'm, I'm facing I'm my own it. thing. Because there's no way if I'm going through depression... And then you, you're going through depression. You come to me for advice, which is the same same thing that I'm going through. There's no way that will help each other because we're in the same we're in the same uh, situation over here. So if they were to be educated on how and how to handle these things, what 
what action should someone takes once you know that you're into depression someone close to you is into depression it will really help it will really help a lot um mostly in the people that are in the camp i'm speaking on behalf of them some of them are not here but on behalf of them that's why i'm saying this cause uh things that are passed on to the next generation as he had said well there's war back at home right now yeah. the current generation that is moving from home into the camp the kind of mentality that they have right now is that so this tribe is doing this to us so when in case i make it into power i'll do the same to their tribe so if nothing if no action is taken to into this they'll grow up with the same with that mentality of of knowing this the way to go not knowing that that's not the way to go but if they were to be educated it will it will it will change a lot most of us uh, the next coming generation won't ever live in the camp and won't uh, will never call themselves refugees again because okay it's i'm not saying that uh, it's bad to be a refugee because n- nobody chose chose it it's a it's a situation we found ourselves in 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 so but if such awareness if people talk uh, more of it and uh, people be, uh, feel open to it cuz most of the time you will find in some communities when such topics are brought up mostly people turn tables they don't want to talk about it uh maybe they're they're embarrassed to talk about it let's say what i if i let out my inner shadow like i tell them that i had been abused they laugh at me uh, they'll not look at me the same same way they used to again so let, let me keep it into myself not knowing that if you keep it the same same person who did it to you since he knows okay so if if he or she can't talk it out so even if i do it again he'll be, he'll be afraid or she'll be afraid but if there was a more awareness of people being open people will see it as a, a normal thing it's a usual thing that's like it's like talking about hey i'll be getting married so that's like have depression how how do you help it how do i go yeah. about that yeah so that's my my take that's on it take. more of uh, mental awareness thank you so let me just break this down for anyone who did not quite follow kila <laughs> kitu or just um like a sort of recap even mostly for myself so number one, we need to educate people about this educate people from the youngest ages to the oldest of ages number two, we need to train people professionals getting into the camps and professionals getting into uh the urban areas where refugees are settled and training individuals at this level to be able to um to address mental health issues yeah number three, to we be need able to, to offer psychosocial support to be able Maybe to address uh, but, yeah. but offer yeah. yeah thank you thank you for that correction to be able to offer psychosocial support i am really lo- loving that word today yeah. psychosocial <laughs> support yeah um f- number f- three talk is therapy so the more we talk about it the more we normalize it so talk about it talk about it, talk about it up until the one thing we have to fix now is misinformation and not necessarily lack of information yeah we will address misinformation but we now need to talk about <laughs> the elephant in the room um also the need to demystify so this is number four. we need to demystify the entire issue and matters surrounding mental well-being 
Um, and we can do this through storytelling, which is the, it is right there, you know, um, mostly in our African context, actually. Uh, narration has been there, you know, oral, what is now called oral literature. Oracha has been there for a very long time, and it is endless in poetry, in song, in dance. And we use this and we will talk about mental health matters and we will continue demystifying this, you know, this this uh, thing that is so unknown that we don't necessarily want to venture into it. And then using technology, so apps, um, like the game developed and more apps such that it is one of the application in any phone you, you, you come across, you know, and... The last one, most importantly, information, the need to have information. And just after people have accessed information, being able to place people, uh, sorry, place information, being able to place information where it is accessible to everyone. And then now we can start, we can continue talking and talking and talking about mental well-being. Yeah. Now, um, next year, there's a, there's a pending issue, yeah. So there's a there's the coming closure of of uh, camps. So Kakuma ended up, and this was um, agreed upon. It was a move in. Uh, it was a move that was proposed by the Kenyan government, and then so UNHCR and the Kenyan government came up with ways to um, huh, to to facilitate. Yes, ways to facilitate this, ways to facilitate um, the closure of the camps. Yeah, so there are three ways, and this is going to be my final question because, uh, well, <laughs> camp closure might be inevitable. We we're not quite sure, but it it is definitely here. So, um, refugees who have known the camps as home for so long. Are now faced with three options. Number one, to integrate into the Kenyans, into the host community, which is a Kenyan society. Number two, is they might be uh, repatriated to their ho- to their home countries, depending if depending on how uh, suitable they find that. And the third one, sorry, I said depending on how suitable they find that they find that, but I am not quite sure about the last bit. But yeah, so repatriation to their home country. And number three would be repatriation to um, to a third country, so another host country. Yeah. So, in respect to our conversation today on mental health and mental wellness, how do you professionals and you, a professional in your in your own right, how do you see this playing out for the mental well being of the refugees? All these three scenarios and. Um, including the camp closures, yeah? So where do we start? Who wants to take this one? <laughs> How much time do we have? Um, this is our wrap-up. This is our wrap-up. <laughs> this is our wrap-up. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me, I can just speak to, to that also. Um, for me, it, 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 it's not so much what I think about it. It's about the refugee. What, what do they feel about it? I think... I'm all about consent in terms of getting to get their point of view and saying, look here, sir uh, or madam, you've been in this situation for these many years. Okay. It's a, it's actually unsustainable to go on keeping a camp. 
Because what's happening is you have more and more people coming. You need to go to address the root problem. The camp is a symptom. Being a refugee is a symptom of something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let, let, as a world uh, uh, with the AU, with the UN, let, let, let's, let's stop uh, playing around with people's lives because there's a political, there's a, there's a geopolitical uh, thing going on here. There is interest going on here. But how can we, how can we put people back in their homes? This is unsustainable, number one. But also going to the individual and asking, what do you feel about this? Are you comfortable going back home? No one is happy living in a camp. Maybe the, uh, I don't know if there's anyone who's happy living in a camp. But do you want to go back home? Do you want to uh, be accommodated in the new country? And also giving clear terms. What does the accommodation in the new country look like? Uh, are you just being thrown uh, to the dogs and being led to find for yourself? Because you have to find a footing. So are there any incentives? Is there any uh, financial support? Are there any psychosocial support system being set up for these uh, refugees? Because they'll be trying to come into a new environment for most of them, mm-hmm. competing for jobs with people who've maybe had a better access to education than them. So how, how, what, how do we level the playing field uh, for these refugees, for those who want to stay, for those who want to go back home? What environment are we taking them back to? Uh, can we address the political conflict? Okay. Uh, and then, yes, put them back home. For those who want to go to the third country, I mean, is that, is that even possible then? We look at those. How do we facilitate that process? And it's, it's, it's a wild problem. It's something as, as the whole world, we need to come together through the UN or whatever platform. And, and, and I love more the African Union to take initiative. What, what are we doing? Because I feel like as Africans, you're also losing the plot. What are we, are we, what are we doing to help ourselves also? So we need to see more direction from our leaders. Um, unfortunately, I, I, I don't see that leadership, but we keep praying. And we hope that as we move, as because uh, they keep on saying we're the leaders of tomorrow, I hope we will be the leaders of tomorrow because leadership is not just about position, but it's also about making decisions that are favorable uh, to your people. Thank you for that. Thank you. You're sure there's something more to add? <laughs> but do, you feel, do you need to add something? <laughs> just, to, just to reiterate that the, the term refugee is a human being. You know, let's stop playing games. These are an actual human being. These are people who either now or in the future, maybe far future or near future, could easily turn around and influence who you are or how you live. You know, because who can contain the human potential? Mm. So today a refugee, tomorrow a world leader. Where will they, from where are they going to be making decisions from is it from a point of retaliating mm. you know you didn't you you just kicked us out you didn't take care of us you played games with us and not just Kenya as a country but like Shitemi has said globally you know these are human beings yeah. yes these are human beings and now our face to the you know to the statistic <laughs> anyway, so that's a very a sensitive question. I personally, uh, considering that uh, as we speak on this topic right now, I have the, an entire family, mother, brothers, sisters, who are in the camp that we're talking about right now. Uh, I'll start by saying, you know, uh, they say east or west home is the best. 
we've been we've been Kenya for the last three decades so far. 1990, that's when the contract came out. Refugees started coming in in 1992. My parents being the first generation of of uh, the refugees that came into the camp. So uh, with such a thing that has already come up right now, um, we can't we can't rewind time, uh, rewind it back to how things were good back in then, and then tell the the leaders like give give us time or don't do this. It's something that has already been decided and it's happening. So from my point of view, uh, as the victim here, uh, Kakuma has been a home to most of us, not only South Sudanese. We've had Ethiopia. We have places that are named differently. If you, do, if you go to Kakuma refugee camp now, there's a place called Somali. There's a place called Ethiopia. There's a place called Hong Kong. All the way from China into, into the camp, you see. So these are uh, different kind of people from different countries living within. So I'll be wrong if I say, oh, we South Sudanese, we will suffer. No, I'm not only talking of my people, but I'm also talking of the people that were in the same condition with me. Uh, so it has been an, a home to most of us. Personally, I've lived there for more than 23 years. Uh, I know I know nothing much about my country. I've only been there for like, let's say twice. And it's been almost a decade right now since I last went back. So the thing here is nobody has refused to go home. We can go home. But the question here is, uh, do you ask yourself what caused them to flee their country into where they are? And if you're now telling them to get back into their country, whatever that chest them out, has it been solved? Or are they getting into it again? And if they get into it, where will they go again? So uh, finding time as we, um, resettling will be a problem. It will take time before you resettle. And, bef and before you resettle, by the time you resettle, you'll have lost a lot of things uh, that, that, that you've had. And if we were to talk about uh, going going to other countries, okay, some of them are already there. Some of them are already there. But uh, life over there is not what we think that uh, the Western world is developed. So if we go to the Western world, life will be easier there. Once you reach there, you'll have to uh, cope with the life over there. Not, not everything like the ones that we were being provided with in the camp we're being given uh, food, free water. The, there's no rental paying. You're just living. Now, if they go to the to the western side, it's the opposite of all this. You'll have to hustle for your own food, mm. your rental, uh, electricity bill. You have to have a job to feed your family. So, uh, what I will tell the 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 officials that are behind all this. Uh, first of all, I'll, I'll say thank you for the time being that you've you've hosted us in the country as, as the host Kenya. And uh, if we are to leave today or tomorrow, uh, I would like them to consider looking into the ways of helping us to have a life after that. 
not that we just get into a certain place and everything still uh, happens to be the same same thing so if they if there's a good way they've they've made plans of uh having a good life after this course uh the many things that are going on uh being closed doors uh people are like the camp is being closed so they'll they have their country they'll have to go back if i was to tell some of you right now finding basic education in the camp the the little knowledge that you get i i studied there uh, and then went out i was lucky enough i got uh, someone to sponsor my education on this urban side but what of the guys that are left there the educational system isn't that good the population has yet said people are still coming in and it's it's becoming very hard to manage them you'll find that in a school the same same school people students there's there's a time table set or aside that the the students that learn from 7 a.m. to 12 once you guys it's 12 the entire school gets out and then other students come in from 12 to 5 basically because of the kind of population so now uh, make a calculation all these students that out of this small education that they've gotten they've seen a future uh, at least I've gotten basic education that I did not get when I was back at home where are they going to start once they go back to their places you you've you've like destroyed uh, the the kind of hope that they had about it so it's not just an easy thing it's not all about packing your things and going back it's it's way bigger than what people think it it is and uh, things things need to be put into that is hand in hand with our government and the current government and the government of other or other other countries too because just uh, moving a, a number of 500,000 plus that's half a million mm-hmm. isn't isn't that easy and some of us will even go and face uh, criticism from our own people like when we were fighting for the country you you guys were cowards you ran into another country now you're coming back so you don't even belong here get out this this these are things that will happen mm. nobody will want nobody wants to talk about it but honestly speaking those are things that will that that are that are waiting for us mm. be it back at home within here and even the uh, the most uh, sensitive thing uh, people in the camp okay they'll close but the people in the urban centers the refugees over here may think that uh, people may think that the people in the urban centers the refugees that have these flashy cars that have good life won't be affected that's a lie cuz people like us right now it's a daily thing every time that i come to to town there's only one thing that i'm always afraid of cuz it's something that i go through every time i come to town police brutality because mm. the camp will be closed if they find you in town you're interrogated what are you doing so since the camp has been closed you're illegally in the country you you understand how they put all these things fault accusation mm. so the people in the urban centers will mostly be, uh, be affected and some of us even used to depend on the the kind of food that was brought in the camp 
yeah, it's being transported by your own money from there into, and then we come and eat it here. So people think that we are buying our own food, not knowing in real sense some of us are surviving by the, uh, because of the food in the camp that helps us here. Some of them, they come in and uh, help their family members. So there's it, a lot, it, yeah, yeah. It, there's a lot to talk about. If we were to continue with this conversation, we'll go for hours. But uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that we have yeah. um, 11 episodes yeah. to explore um, the refugee situation in, in Kenya and matters affecting refugees. So um, I mean, we're going to definitely have an episode on education. We're going to have an episode on policy. We're going to have an education on law. Uh, sorry, an episode on law. And um, really the aim of this podcast is to be able to humanize the refugee story, to humanize um, matters affecting individuals at various levels. And how can the and, and, and even interrogate how can the society, how can the Kenyan society integrate with the refugees? Because as as Bright has said, eh, as Rhoda has said, these are human beings. So I think I think I would like us to end at that note that we need to remember that refugees are human beings who face the same mental issues as we all do, but in a heightened sense, no one chose to be a refugee. And that said, once uh, once there's access to information, access to resources, then refugees will also be able to get help that they need, yeah, to get the mental help that they need. And we need to talk, 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 and talk some more about mental mental health, mental wellness, and the psychosocial support needed for the... <laughs> You're in love with that one today. I yeah. learned it today. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I think I would like us to end it at that. And again, thank you so, so much for sharing such invaluable wisdom and for being amazing people and making this such fun. And... Um, to our guests, I hope you had fun and learned. And if you have any questions, there will be channels and available for you to um, present your questions to us and we shall be able to answer that. If you have any inquiries, feel free to contact us. We shall provide the channels for that as well. And I hope to see you and another person who will have told about this episode <laughs> and the other person and the other person. I hope to see you guys next time. And thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you.
The online dialogue series of RefuPoet was commissioned by the Special Initiative on Displacement SIF, program of the Civil Peace Service of GIZ. We appreciate the discussions and insights shared. The opinions expressed in these dialogue series are those of the speakers. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions or views of GIZ.